take your ideas and build them out. Whether it's a grim dark fantasy or a high tech sci fi horror, this game and its tools are here to help you design that. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I speak with creator Blaze Reason about his game, Ishinekin World Shapers. This system agnostic game looks to help you and your table design a setting and a game that is tailored to what you want. We talk armies, settings, and a free price tab right now on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am very excited to be talking about yet another wonderful, cool, kind of unique in its own way, tabletop role-playing game with its creator, Blaze. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. We have been talking about doing this interview since... Either October or November of 2022, I think. It's been a while. It's been in the making for a bit. And I'm pumped that we are getting a chance to actually sit down and finally talk about your game, Ishinekin World Shapers. I'm I'm pumped. Yes, definitely. I've been waiting for this. Has been a couple of months, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit. I've been in your Discord for <laughs> for a bit of time, and people are excited about it, like... You got this really interesting community. I love that character board, by the way, that you have set up for people. And we're going to talk about why that's so interesting in a second. But before we hop into what Ishinekin is, can you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself? As you said, I'm Blaise Reason, also known by my real name, Jan Lücken. By day, I'm a software developer. By night, I love playing tabletop RPGs, general very nerdy, very geeky, but I mean, who isn't <laughs> in this tabletop RPG uh, designer area, right? Like you don't design, like designing your own tabletop RPG already says about you that you reach a next level nerd them. Like nobody else <laughs> does this. <laughs> uh, that, I guess that's true. When you think about it, most people aren't, um, this is not a get rich quick scheme. So if you're designing your own game, you're wanting to play something that's a little bit up your alley. Definitely. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make the money back that I already invested into this. So. <laughs> <laughs> but this week, we are here to talk about your game, Ishinekin World Shapers. This, this game's rad. It's so cool. And there's a lot of very fun options. And it, it gives so much space for players and game masters to play in. So can you tell the audience a little bit about what this game is and kind of how it came to be? Ishanekon World Shapers is system agnostic. Its main focus is to allow you to play what you want to play. I'm a big fan of representing your character in game mechanics. So the system gives you a ton of choices, most of them rather flavorless so that you can put your flavor into it. Like, for example, physical bolt could be like you shooting a cannon, firing a, a magical stone or just high pressured water stream, anything right. Also, what I wanted to achieve was something that um, like 
is for everybody. That's also why I'm offering it for free. So there is no entrance fee, basically. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, and how it came to be. That's a funny story. Like, I always wanted to, to uh, play tabletop role-playing games. But I never found a, a group. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, be a game master. Then I saw the prices of D&D books. And I was like, I don't have uh, to pay for this. I'm going to make my own system. That was mm -hmm. a mistake. Like, never having to play <laughs> a tabletop RPG. You don't know how much work it is. <laughs> After just starting for a bit, I noticed, like, just play the... Uh, just pay the 20 euros for the D&D starter set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was technically the beginning, but it wasn't much of a beginning. I became a big D&D fan, and the 5th edition more specifically. But yeah. I started to notice that it had a lot of design flaws. First, I tried to fix it with homebrew, but I noticed like the whole foundation is broken. And then I looked back at the game that I started, now with way more experience what a tabletop RPG is supposed to be. And I was, mm -hmm. all right, I'm going to try to do it. First, it was for a specific setting, but as it evolved, I made it system agnostic. And I think that was the better choice. I just mm -hmm. love that it's so flexible. Currently, for example, I'm playing a Mass Effect game with it, but also classic fantasy medieval game also has a cosmic horror game with it a couple of times oh wow that's so cool it's got a lot of narrative power to it and can you kind of explain to the audience how the setting agnosticness works with it because even right down to choosing your character path there are so many options to really shape this into how you want to play. Yes, definitely. There are multiple choices that you have to make during character creations. Probably the most important one is your archetype. It's There are 10 archetypes, which are like an abstraction of, how do I say it? A way, uh, it's not a class. It's kind of like how a character functions, right? Yes, exactly. It's um, It represents the idea behind a character. For example, there is the bulwark archetype, which has a focus on defense, being strong, and just being a physical presence. You have the mental archetype, which is all about mind over matter, using your intellect or your instincts or just your force of personality to use uh, uh, abilities maybe it's magic maybe it's technology maybe it's psychic abilities or like the cunning archetype which are is the dirty kind of fighter that is less about open open combat and more about you know being sneaky taking advantages in combat and such there are also like a ton of abilities like 800 at the moment <laughs> a, a little bit more than 800 <laughs> It's uh, the abilities can be everything from a spell or like a sword technique or a gadget. They're really diverse what they represent. They're the mm -hmm. active abilities that you use, you know, like 
fire yeah. a, a firebolt, shove your enemy to the ground, um, turn into a giant goat, uh, that sort of thing. Then there yeah. are talents which allow you to customize your character. Oh yeah, I forgot about the sub archetypes. You know, after you chose your archetype, each archetype has eleven sub archetypes currently, which uh, allows you to focus more on a niche. For example, let's say for the bulwark, you have the juggernaut, which is really that unstoppable, unkillable character, which just won't go down. You have the protector, which is more of a tank role, who focuses on redirecting attack to themselves from their allies. Or mm -hmm. the guardian, which is, mixes abilities with their defensiveness. There's also a path which you choose what kind of core mechanic your character revolves around. Like the path of attack, which allows you to deal more attacks when you level up or power up your base attack. Or there's path of damage, which allows you to have one damage ability that you can reliably use even if you run out of willpower. Yeah. Tons of options. It's got a lot of options there. And what I like is that they don't really step on each other's toes. They're they're really just ways to define your character as you build them out with your campaign. Yes, definitely. It's also interesting. You don't have to have the path you chose set in stone. For example, one of my players started uh, a scout, which is a sub-archetype of the uh, cunning archetype, mostly focused yeah. on speed, and his main... First idea was just to be a distracting force on the battlefield, taunting their enemies from afar and then running away while they're trying mm -hmm. to get them and their allies can just keep attacking them. But then, like, after reaching level 3, he started investing into crit abilities and now he's an absolute crit monster and turned into the main damage <laughs> healer of the group. <laughs> I think one of the strongest points is really that flexibility, though, because, as you said, it's a setting-agnostic game so you're playing on a Mass Effect in a high fantasy game with this system and a flavor-wise at least, a Demolitions character in a fantasy setting is very different than a high sci-fi game's Demolitions. Like, just right off the hop there. So you've got all these tools to flavor and really dive in and create something that's really unique to you and your table. Yes, definitely. Yeah, the funny thing about, like, there are two archetypes that are really not that typical, I guess. Like, the first one is the demolition archetype, mm -hmm. which their focus is hitting as many creatures as possible. It doesn't have to be damaged. Like, there is the classical destroyer, you know, who just blows stuff up, which can be, like, a destructive mage or somebody who throws dynamite around but there's also yeah. the infuser who is an area of effect healer the chemist the chemist who is an area of effect uh, control ability user or even the conjurer who is an i summon multiple uh, creatures at once and let them storm uh, my enemy and control th and that way yeah. targeting a lot of creatures and the other one is reality Reality is I love a the really one. weird one. It's so funny. <laughs> Your examples so... for it kill me. I love them. 
<laughs> yes, I mean they're more like traditionals, like the disruptor that can open up portals that deal uh, constant damage to anyone who is close to them, or this placer who's a teleportation master. But there are also more wacky options, like the cartoon sub archetype, which just allows you to break the rules of physics. And what I think his funniest ability is to you can just negate any form of damage if you're just stunned for a round, which is. Mm -hmm. Just the image of the cartoon character who has the bomb in the hand and just it explodes in front of him and he just stands there blinking for a few seconds before he just shakes it off. <laughs> or um <laughs> or the core narrator who basically can read ahead in the script. And if you fail an attack or a skill check, you can just turn back time and say and your character knows, oh, if I try that, I will fail. And then he can do something else. It's uh, can uh, the reality archetype is really fun and <laughs> definitely not yeah. a traditional archetype or class, which really gives you the options to do extremely weird stuff. Mm -hmm. It's impressive because you have these reality warping characters, for instance, then you have characters that are focused around war, like war and conquest and. How did you go about balancing this? Because some of them are, some of them feel very, very powerful. But from what I've heard and what I've seen, for the most part, this game is incredibly balanced for the amount of time that's left in development. Uh, well, yeah, balance between martial characters and uh, spell casting characters or ability users i guess since it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be spells right yeah was very important that that was something that i really did not like in dnd a lot of design decisions in my systems were stuff that i really didn't like about dnd and i was like okay i'm going to fix this so basically i have this one big central excel table with all the average damage that uh, a character can do <laughs> depending oh, what okay. <laughs> form of combat they have like the ba baseline is two-handed weapon uh fighter like that's the baseline around everything else is balanced around and then i just start tinkering okay and uh, it took a lot of tinkering to make sure that the power output is the same like, for example, uh, the damage that you do with uh, maneuver abilities that you use with uh, weapon attacks that deal, for example, extra damage is balanced mm -hmm. in a way that if you fully upcast that ability, use it at its full potential for your level, it should deal roughly the same damage as an, a pure ability user that fully uh, upcasts their ability. I made sure of that. Yeah, Sometimes it was harder. <laughs> For example, Path of Maneuver, which allows you to, uh, instead of Path of Attack, that gives you more attacks, Path of Maneuver allows, makes your maneuvers more powerful so that you're a bit of a weapon ability user. Yeah. Um, how much I had to think until the numbers were right, so that's not under or overpowered compared to everything else. <laughs> so yeah, that's basically the baseline to make sure that the damage output is similar. Um. Yeah, other than that, also playtest, of course. Uh, martial characters yeah. used to be still a little bit weaker. I, for example, 
in earlier versions, they got six vitality per level instead of seven. And it's not just like, okay, I caster can just use the ability shield for two willpower. They get uh, 2d6 temporary vitality, which lasts the whole day. So, Mm -hmm. and then I just noticed like, okay, they, then they basically have more vitality than their martial character by just spending their excess willpower. And then I had to boost them. So yeah, a lot of tinkering, a lot of work, uh, and definitely a lot of playtest. Mm-hmm. Playtesting is easily one of the most important parts of any any indie game, any game really. Like we we see playtests all the time, and you have had quite a bit of success with your playtests. One of the things that I hear the most positive reinforcement and one of my favorite parts is actually a mechanic that totally new to a lot of games and that's narrative momentum can you talk about narrative momentum and what it does how it can be used because i i love this concept oh yeah that's one of my favorite mechanics of the system basically narrative momentum has two roles you can either use narrative momentum to real world a dice that you roll or re-roll dice that the enemies or your allies rolled to really symbolize mm-hmm. those clutch moments where the hero just pulls through. But the thing I like more is that you can use it for cinematic actions. Cinematic actions is basically the rule of cool implemented into the rules. If you uh, try to do something that the rules do not allow you to do technically or would be extremely complicated to actually pull off, you can just use a cinematic action. Basically, three narrative momentum, three action points, just roll a skill check that fits with what you're trying to do. And if you succeed, you basically have something that is at least as powerful as a fully upcasted ability or if you're really have try something difficult or epic it can go beyond that which really gives you the tools to have extremely epic moments in a game it's kind of like a a point system that lets the player have some of that gm control sometimes i should say yes definitely with the re-rolling of dice definitely with a cinematic action, the GM can technically still say, dude, there is absolutely no way. Yeah. For example, if you're <laughs> playing a realistic setting and you say, I want to t- turn into a Super Saiyan. And uh, no. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it can give you these dramatic moments where, for example, everybody's on the ground bleeding and somebody just uses uh, their cinematic actions to stand up, get a boost in power just to hold your ground. Or it can be something simpler. Like, for example, one time, one of my players just used it to give two down characters two healing potions at the same time. Mm-hmm. A cool moment was uh, in a modern, modern setting where somebody used it to jump onto an enemy tank, rip off (laughs) the entrance to the tank, and just jump in and kill the people piloting the tank. (laughs) Circumventing the whole difficult boss encounter. 
it so it's I, I just like it. I think that it works really well. And that is a, a pool that you can pull from, right? So each character has X amount of narrative momentum as they level up. Yes, it's bound to your charisma and your luck skill level. In my system, every stat, stat has something that they contribute to you, even if your archetype does not need it. It gives you mm -hmm. something. Strength uh, is jumping range and how much you can carry. Dexterity is evasion. Constitution is vitality and temporary vitality. Intelligence is skill points. And, uh, instinct is initiative. Will is willpower and temporary vitality. And charisma is narrative momentum. Because, you know, it gives you... Charisma also represents a bit your luck and how much of, you know, this protagonist energy you have among other <laughs> more traditional charisma based <laughs> things like being persuasive being likable maybe being good looking but you don't have to be to have a high charisma yeah so obviously you started off home brewing for 5e this game feels like something that would translate really well for a player who is coming from fifth edition or Pathfinder second edition, and it's it's a really comfortable space for them. So can you tell us roughly how skill checks, attacks, and all of that works in Ishinekin World Shapers? You're right. There are parallels to other systems. I definitely got inspired by a lot of systems. Definitely D&D, 5th edition, had a big role, but also Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu, How to Be a Hero, Open Legend was another one. But yeah, D&D has definitely left his footprints on the system. I won't lie about that. So attacks. Um, attacks uh, are basically, you roll the attack roll. At your hit modifier against the evasion of the enemy. There is no armor class. There is basically evasion and armor. Evasion allows you to just flat out dodge an attack if the enemy doesn't roll high enough. Armor is subtracted from your um, from the damage you receive. So you can't have a tanky high armor character. Everything hits him, but basically almost no damage gets through or you can have an evasive character where almost nothing hits him but if he gets it it will hurt also what i like about uh, the attack rolls the hit bonus is usually calculated by two stats basically every weapon not basically every weapon in the game requires two different stats to wield a primary stat and a secondary stat because that's also mm -hmm. something that i didn't like about D &D. <laughs> Sorry if it gets a bit yeah. bratty. Nope, that's fair. But, uh, that dexterity doesn't help you at all with a sword, and that you can wield a longbow with basically zero strength. Like, that's not how longbows work. I've I've shot a normal bow, not a longbow. It takes a lot of strength. So, um, a sword, for example, in my setting has primary set dexterity, secondary set strength. An axe would have mm -hmm. primary stat uh, strength, secondary stat dexterity. And there are also like more uh, exotic things. Not everything is with strength and dexterity. There are blunt weapons, which have constitution as secondary stat. Or daggers, for example, have intelligence as a secondary stat. Because you're you know trying to pinpoint, hit the weak spots. 
Other than that, uh, skill checks. Oh, I had to rework the skill checks <laughs> many times. But let's just talk about the final <laughs> version. The final wor version works with a D10, where you uh, add your skill level onto it, and the half of your stat bonus that's related to that skill. They're like, um, I think, uh, 34 skills where you can spend skill points in. It's not like you're proficient in it or not. It's uh, more of a gradient, you know. At level one, you can yeah. spend up to three skill points in a skill, which is already like kind of like expert level compared to D&D 5th edition. But when you level up, you can even increase that. Also something I wanted to make sure that investing skill points is more important than the stat that the skill is associated with. Uh, another thing that I did not like about D&D that somebody that's proficient in history but has an intelligence of 10 is worse in history than somebody who has an intelligence of uh, 16 but has no proficiency in it. Like, sorry, I don't care how intelligent you are. If somebody studied history, he knows more about history than you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is, I feel like, one of those universal pet peeves about a number of games. Yes. I mean, technically, at higher levels, your intelligence can get so high that it's still better than having one skill point in a skill. But having one skill point is not really like showing that you're trained. It's more like, oh, yeah, you passively absorb a lot of it about it. You know, mm -hmm. like, for example, yeah. myself, I would probably have like a skill level of one in natural science just because I'm so interested in the subject. But I'm not a scientist. Uh, somebody who studied this or somebody who has a doctorate in it is significantly better. And like a skill yeah. level of one is not a lot. <laughs> no, it's your baseline. It's like I've expressed an interest and I've looked into it. Yes. Ishinekin World Shapers is a game where you level up, you gain more skills as you play, but it works a little bit different, and the level cap's not quite as big as a number of games. So can you talk about leveling up and how you get to a Tier 12 character? Yes. So basically, you have your level, which kind of functions like normal leveling up. You <laughs> usually start a level 1. But you can start a level zero character if you really want to be have that weaker experience. And there's actually alternative rules where you can start as a level minus two character if you really want to start at that as a peasant <laughs> who can't do anything. Yeah. But uh, you don't only have your level, but you also have your tier. Every third level, you gain another tier, which is like a cap to your power. For example, you can have a number of skill uh uh, points in a skill equal to two plus your tier. So first you only have three, but once you reach level three, you can have four, six, five, and so on. It's basically to make sure that you don't invest too much in one skill. That was an issue in an earlier version that everybody just invested in the primary stat because it was yeah. the obvious choice. And I was okay, now I have to stop that. And uh, with each tier, you also get a new sub-archetype feature. The, okay. There isn't really a max level for the system. It's balanced around so that 12 is like the capstone. You know, you get your strongest sub-archetype uh, feature there. And mo most things are balanced so that it works until level 12 and a bit further. Uh, 
but you can technically level up infinitely. I wouldn't suggest that, but if you really <laughs> want that sort of epic campaigns where you just keep on growing and keep on growing and keep on growing, you can do that. But I think probably uh, if you reach level 20, it will really just start to get really wonky. Plus, you start to have so many abilities and features that it just gets hard to play the characters, to be honest. It gets a little cluttered. Yes, definitely. Okay. One of the things I've been waiting to talk about the most about Ishinekin World Shapers is one of... I think, outside of narrative momentum, I think it might be the cleanest mechanic in this game, and that is for large army combat, and army combat in general. Can you talk about army battles, how you as a player control this, and what it looks like when you are playing in an army battle? Yes, like there, sometimes there, in a story, you just need to have this epic battle, but Usually it's really hard to, as you said, to have a clean change from small battle to a big battle. So I try to A, keep it simple. It's not the main form of a game, you know, you just occasionally yeah. switch into it and your players are supposed to like uh, be able to comprehend it just by um, looking quickly over it. You have mm -hmm. a Basically, you have different forms of units, like range units, infantry, um, flying units, and so on, which have a base stat line. You can level them up, yeah. if you like. They're leveling up rules. And they basically can just move, attack, defend, and prepare an attack. That's it. And then you have the player characters. A player character that you just have on the battlefield counts as a hero unit. They have their own stats depending on their level and what kind of primary uh, stat they have. But they uh, can also merge with each other, making one strong hero unit, basically the whole party moving through the battlefields. Or they can merge with other battle units on their side, buffing them, increasing their level giving you control, uh, like, do you want to spread out the strength of your character since they are so strong that on their own they can shape the battlefield? Or do you mm -hmm. want to focus them in one powerful army? Usually, if you split the power, you get more damage, but the uh, the units gets more vulnerable and it's a higher chance that you, one of your characters dies. But if you put them all in, you have this highly defensive unmovable object but the power is not as high like i imagine it more like okay you cannot flank the enemy as well if you're just moving as one right so less damage on the battlefield and you have this like dynamic where uh, the players control the allies on their side and i've played it a couple of times and it's really fun to see how the players approach the strategy it has some options it's not super complicated, but, you know, that's the point. Uh, if it were mm -hmm. super complicated, you can just not throw it in for one session because other players would be like, uh, what do I do now? How does it work? How do I use my bajillion abilities? <laughs> you know, keeping it. <laughs> and I also like how, depending on your primary stat, 
you affect the battlefield differently. For example, if you're a constitutioned character, your units get more vitality, they're harder to kill. If you're uh, intelligence, they're, um, I think it was their, yes, uh, their precision increases because you can give them tactical advisors. Okay, do this, that, strength just increases the damage, the image of you just storming with them, bashing in skulls. Or um, uh, instincts, which allows you to be more defensive, negating damage, charisma, inspiring your unit, healing them over time. Yeah, I actually ha um, haven't put that much thought into that. Like, I have worked a lot more on the other. <laughs> but I mean, it is a, a simpler system, right? So you can yeah. develop it quicker. I am actually planning to do a army tool on the website so that you can organize the units easier so it's easier to calculate how do the stats change when you move one hero unit into one unit and so on so that's definitely on the agenda speaking of tools you have an encounter builder on the website so do you want to talk about how a game master could actually really easily set up their encounters using the encounter builder to create something that's challenging or a little bit more simple. So yeah, um, there are creatures on the website that you can use. Not that many. Uh, I'm trying to work on that. Plus I have some people who are helping me with that. But there yep. are also rules to create your own creatures and a creature builder tool. So if you know about the systems, you can relatively easily build a creature that fulfills your needs. In the future, hopefully, mm -hmm. for especially for beginners, you will have plenty of choices from the website, um, which I also noticed in my own games, it's so much easier to just pick a, a finished creature. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I'm mostly one guy working for free on that thing. Like, it's on the list, I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> the encounter uh, calculator is relatively new as it was something that people said, okay, how do I calculate it? So I, I developed it. Um, the numbers haven't been tested so great as that much. Like I've been testing it, pushing it a bit. It seems to work more or less, um, but it helps you calculate roughly how dangerous an encounter is. Important factor yeah. is like, it doesn't take into account strategic advantages. You know, if one group of enemies is immune against the main features of the group, of course, they are more dangerous the other way around. If the players know their weaknesses, they get significantly weaker. So that's something you have to be careful about with the calculator. But there's no way to build a system where you can just simply summarize that in a number, right? Like there are always yeah. a ton of nuances which cannot be calculated. One of the most to me, important things that you've done with Ishinekin World Shapers was announced <laughs> during the the debacle that was the open gaming license, and that was the the ideas, the talks about having an open license for Ishinekin World Shapers. Can you talk talk to us a moment about why you chose to do that and where people can find the rules if they choose to create for this game? It was uh, always important to me that this is a game for the people, I guess. That's why I'm offering mm -hmm. for it for free. I want it to be yeah. like a counterforce to the greediness of 
bigger corporations, especially like D&D. Like I noticed that they yeah. were getting more and more anti-consumer. And quite frankly, the books are very expensive. I've easily spent a couple of hundred euros on rule books. And I want, I'm like, I want to give people that experience, but without them having to pay that much money. Mm -hmm. And then when the whole open gaming license thing came, I was like, oh yeah, right. I don't have an open gaming license yet, but that's definitely something that I want to allow. So first I tried to develop my own thing. But then I noticed, okay, I probably need a lawyer. This would be really complicated. And then came Paizo with the Orc license. And I was, yeah, I'm just going to join them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I went to this group, group uh, but uh, not that I read that much because there's so many people. I think it was like 1,500 people who joined the Orc license. Yeah. And I'm so basically many. just waiting. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just basically waiting for them to develop it. Until then, I have on my website, uh, I already prepared a logo that you can use that shows it's compatible with Ishanakon World Shapers. But I guess it's technically, there is not an open gaming license. If you want to do it, just approach me. I'm pr uh, like, I want people to use it. There is basically a zero chance that I will say no to you using the system to make your own content. Yeah. And um, yes, definitely. It, it really is important to me that this is a game for everybody. Like really everybody. I think that that comes through though. You've done such a good job about building out the Discord and building the community and making sure that people have access to this game. So one of the things I want to know is since this isn't going to be a product that can be purchased, how can people support you and help Ishanekin world shapers grow? Well, um, I was th thinking about doing a Kickstarter so that I can switch to halftime for a time, but <laughs> I'm not sure if I still want to do that. Also was thinking about yeah. merch shop, but still not sure. The biggest way you can help right now is help expand the options, especially the creature options. If uh, if we just have fun tinkering with the rule sets, which is a lot of fun, like basically everybody who likes to tinker says, my system is awesome to tinker. Um, mm -hmm. Then there, uh, I have a guide how to create uh, creatures for the rule set so that we can expand the options, make it easier for newer players uh, to engage. It's more like, um, I don't want your money. I just want you to help me grow it. Like, tell people about it. Just have fun playing it. Um, maybe create your own stuff. Help grow the community. That's awesome. Like that, no, it's great. Like if we if we really look at it, there's a lot of stuff that goes into making a game and building a community. And Ichinekin World Shapers is this really big project, especially considering you've done most of it yourself. I know that you've had help here and there with things and playtesting, obviously, but mm -hmm. this is like a, a huge project, and you've undertaken it by yourself. There's a lot of content that's already out <laughs> for this you've you've done so much work it's great and i'm i'm really excited that we could be talking about it today blaze 
I got two more questions for you because we're starting to run low on time here. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're my two final questions that I ask at the end of every episode. So what advice can you give to those people who are wanting to create for the first time, but they just don't know where to start? I would probably start with homebrew. Like homebrew, it's easier because you already have a foundation you can build on. That way you ha- can build up confidence, seeing what works, what doesn't work. And mm-hmm. once you have those understandings, know what is broken, what is not broken, you can start to build your own stuff. But quite frankly, maybe you don't have to. There are so many tabletops out there. Like only after, uh, when I started to get into Twitter half a year ago, I really noticed how many people are there designing games. Like just join them, help them play their games, suggest features. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, don't let that stop you creating your own thing if you really have a vision, you know? Like do it. Yeah. Have fun. You're not going to make a lot of money of it, or no money if you're <laughs> myself. <laughs> so do it if it's fun for you. You know, honestly, I think that that might be the first time we've had the advice of do it if it's fun for you. Because, yeah, we, we've never heard that. And that's that's so integral to this. Because you're right. You're not going to be making... You're probably... I'm not going to say you're not. You're probably not going to be making a lot of money off this and it's just it's it's surreal when huge games do pop up blaze the last question of the day though where can people find out more about you and ishinek and world shapers there's of course the website i'm currently working on a youtube channel but that's probably going to take like a week or two before that really starts forming up there is the Mm -hmm. discord channel if you just want to know what's going on maybe find uh, games or just share your builds ideas that's a great place i usually post content that i want to include for new patches there first so you can give your feedback see what's going on for example all the new subtypes uh, for the patch that I published today, actually. Um, I All of them I published on the Discord group first. And there you can also, like, uh, if you want to help out, uh, see what you can do, you know? Always looking for more people. As always, audience, those links are going to be down in the description below. Go check out Ishinek and World Shapers. On di- join the Discord. The Discord is fairly active. People are always looking for other people to play with. It's it's a lot of fun. There is so much cool stuff for this game, especially if you want to try something that is new and unique. It's just a great little game. To I say little like it's not massive. Um, it's a massive <laughs> game that has a lot of options, and you and your table might really enjoy it. Blaze, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. This was awesome. I was so glad I got a chance to talk to you about this game. Thank you for inviting me. Like, uh, you know, thank you. The one thing uh, Ishanek and Worship is missing is more people hearing about it. You're really helping me out by just letting me talk about it. Thank you. Well, no problem at all. I'm glad to be a mouthpiece for this game. And audience... Thank you so much for joining us. Blaze Reason and Ishanek and World Shapers is scheduled to launch very soon. 
go check them out. Check those links in the description. But until next time, take care of yourselves. I'll see you real soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'm here with a friend of the show, Lion Knight from Tales from the Table Studios. Lion, if you want to tell them about what's going on in March, we'd love to hear it. Thanks so much, Zach. Hi, I'm Lion with Tales from the Table Studios. And at the end of March, the 24th through the 26th, we're going to be running a charity drive, the Days of Tales 2, in support of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. We're going to be raising money through 36 hours over the course of three days with actual plays, panels, giveaways, and some other really cool stuff that we can't talk about just yet. But it's going to be exciting. We're really excited to do it. And we are looking for people who are interested in spreading the word in any way that they can and sharing in this great opportunity. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. There's some friends of the show on there as well, so I'm really excited for all that to happen. Until next time, though, everybody, enjoy the outro. Thank you so much to Blaze Reason for joining us on the show this week. Ishinek and World Shapers has a ton of really interesting mechanics and tools that I think a lot of you will really like. The classes and path therein are a great source of inspiration too, and with a free price tag, it's worth going to that link below and giving it a read through. Please support Blaze Reason and Ishinekin, and let's see it grow a little bit. And thank you for our listening audience. If you like the show and you want to hear more, please consider leaving a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps me get more eyes on the show and tells everyone what you think. That's everything from me though. Until next time, I hope to see you somewhere out there. Bye.